Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Good morning. I'm Evan, the senior pastor here, and, and welcome on this beautiful second Sunday of Advent. Welcome to everybody engaging with us online as well. It's, it's been cold some this week, as you're aware, and so I brought something um, that has helped keep me warm. This is a, a blanket. Uh, this is a blanket that my, my Aunt Jenna made for me. She likes to make these quilts by hand. They take forever, and they're super beautiful. And she gave me one that I couldn't find this morning, but she gave me one when I was really small. It's completely falling apart because I... Uh, had it with me all the time, took it to college with me, all of that. It kind of served as a security blanket for me as a small child. My kids like to run around with it even still. It makes a really good superhero cape. Perhaps that's why I couldn't find it when I was looking for it. Maybe you had something like that when you were small, Uh, some kind of blanket or toy, something that helped you when it was dark and you were little. Something that made you feel safe and okay. As we encounter the scripture this morning, the prophecy in Isaiah, we remember a people who are anxious. They are hoping for some security and some comfort. So we'll look at the words of Isaiah in the Hebrew Bible today, the Old Testament, And we learn that he is ministering to, speaking to people who are afraid. Isaiah's audience at the time, they're afraid because the enemies, the Assyrians, have brought about destruction to the people in the north. The people of Jerusalem are looking over their shoulders. They're looking over their walls and seeing more and more destruction and violence, the leaders of the people have been cutting deals with dangerous enemies. They've been sacrificing their way of faith all along the way, all in hopes to grasp onto a little bit of security. And the people are wondering, will there be a future at all? Will there ever be a king again that will lead us? Well, will things ever be okay? The people are looking for security, for reassurance, maybe a blanket or two. And in the midst of all of that, Isaiah speaks. And it's fascinating what Isaiah tells the people, because instead of a war plan or a defense strategy, instead of a speech that would dehumanize the enemies and justify their own violence, Instead of going over all the crimes that have been done to them, instead of giving them a YouTube link on how to make better weapons, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 9, 2-7. through 7, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. 
You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As people exult when dividing plunder for the yoke, the weight of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. All the boots of the tramping warriors, all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace. For the throne of David and his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a vision! What a hope! Isaiah likely in his day is imagining a a king for the people, perhaps even the young son of the current king. Perhaps they could have a king who would live up to what an ideal king could be. The next king would be a good king, but ultimately he would fail. Never does a leader live up to this vision or promise, not fully At least not until that first Christmas when a new king enters the world, God with us, Jesus Christ. Christians, centuries later, would look back at Isaiah's poetry, this vision, and see within it the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. They believe that Christ is the child born to us at Christmas time where all authority will rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. No blanket, no leader, no paycheck, no army can provide the security and the comfort that Christ brings to his people. But it comes in an unexpected way. So this morning we're going to examine the second name given in Isaiah's vision, mighty God, or divine warrior, you could translate it. Now, if I was in Jerusalem at the time of Isaiah, mighty God is the kind of title I would want to see, right? Might is naturally the thing that we want when we're most scared. My, my twins right now, all the time, whenever anything is going on, it seems like, but especially when they're stressed out, they say, I want to hold you. They haven't figured out that who's holding who right and how that works, but they reach up and ask to be held high and safe. Not unlike us in God, I think. Humans want strength and power and all the security that it provides. That's exactly why the people in Isaiah's time, the leaders in Isaiah's time, had been making deals with other mighty nations. Maybe if we look away from these things, we could strike a deal and they might help us. They think perhaps if there's a boogeyman out there, we might as well have the boogeyman on our team, right? That seems to be the thinking that's happening and thinking that we might be susceptible to ourselves. Isaiah, we need help. We're scared. We have enemies all around us. It's dark out. We need some might. 
Isaiah says, okay, here's a poem, which is a surprising response. But we find this title within it of Mighty God. Now for some of us, we hear the word might and we might be a little nervous. Assyria had plenty of might and they were using it against the people. Many mighty people promising to protect, use their power to hurt others. For several years, I made trips uh, with groups on uh, a mission and cultural exchange uh, to Poland to work with Christians there in the city of Gdansk. And it was here in this free city of Gdansk that in 1939, the German Navy came into the harbor to stop for fuel and supplies. They had put on a kind of parade to celebrate how powerful their ships were. The city welcomed their neighbors, and then at 4.48 in the morning, those same ships that they had celebrated began to open fire on the city. It was the start of World War II. I brought with me a picture um, that I took from the bunker at Vesterplatte, which is where this first attack happened. They have left it in ruins so you can see what happens with corrupt human might. On one of these trips, we went to the preserved concentration camp near this city where many people were held. I brought a picture from that too. We went and we didn't know that the day that we happened to arrive was the 71st anniversary to the day of its liberation. And so they were having an event that day and we got to see one of the living survivors. He lived in the camp for three years as a young man lost his whole family in the camp. After the war, despite heroic efforts by Polish fighters against the Nazis, uh, Poland was given over to the USSR and the people then would struggle for freedom for decades and they still carry the scars of might used against them. But we don't have to go back to 1939 to think about the dangers of human might, do we? As we all saw indescribable violence. Recently, violence by Hamas in modern Israel and the ongoing retribution being doled out against people in Gaza. We see a whole city, region devastated, hostages held violence and rage, it's even bubbling up in our communities. We think of our own obsession with might and strength, regardless of who is harmed. We see the devastation of what might can do on the faces of parents who have lost children, children who have lost parents, all because of exercises of might. Do we want a mighty God? What do we do? Maybe we feel helpless, mightless. Israel's audience, most of us. Where do we go next? We feel powerless. And Isaiah says, yes, but a king is coming who will be a mighty God. Well, what does that look like? Perhaps one of my favorite examples of Jesus' might occurs on a stormy sea in Mark chapter 4. The disciples are panicking. Jesus is asleep. If you remember the story, it's Mark 
4, we'll do verses 37 through 41. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat onto the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be silent, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is our mighty God. In the ancient world, the sea was thought of as a place of chaos. It was an illustration for how small and powerless humanity is. Who are we when we stand and look out at the sea with its depths, its waves, and its riptides? It was normal for the disciples to be scared on that boat as the storm raged. But Jesus, the mighty God, slumbers. The chaos doesn't frighten him. Even nature is under his rule. He chastises the sea, the text says. He says, hush, like a parent to a child. And the sea does. He turns to his followers saying, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? I used to read that story and think that Jesus might have said it to the disciples in an angry tone, rebuking them. Where is your faith? Perhaps I assume that because when someone wakes me up from a nap, that's how I tend to react, right? But as I read it now, I imagine that perhaps instead this is a more gentle assurance of power that Jesus has and love for his followers. I read it that way, I think, in part because I'm informed by Jesus' character, and in part because the text says he chastises the storm, but he just says to the disciples, Mark had plenty of language to use if he wanted to say that he rebuked the disciples. No, there's no chastisement there. He says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. The mighty God is in your midst. Even the sea obeys. Jesus is mighty God, and that means the quantity of Jesus' might is vast. But I don't know how much of a comfort that might be for you today as we all want to do something, as we might feel stuck and powerless. But I think the disciples show us something that we can do when we feel that way, overwhelmed, not sure what to do next, unsure, afraid. I think we can take lead from the disciples and we can pester Jesus. We can say to a God that feels distant, Hey, are you awake out there? Can you help me out? The disciples let out their honest feelings, their concerns to even care that we're perishing. I have prayed prayers like that. We can offer those same prayers when things around us are difficult, when we're overwhelmed, we don't know what to do. God, do you care? And I believe that our vastly powerful God is not only big enough to handle the sea, but also our emotions and our complaints and our frustrations, our fears and our griefs and our instability. 
Perhaps when we encounter this vast, mighty God, we can be reassured that we don't have to be afraid because this God is good and this God is with us. It's so important that this God be good. Because mighty people who aren't good do terrible things. This might we find in this story describes this king who is fulfilled in Jesus. And it's a king not that will conquer, but will love. Isaiah uses these images of a child to end violence, not to extract vengeance. The might here is not the type of might that takes hostages or drops bombs or kills children or shouts racial slurs or threats. No, the might is described as creating a space where boots and robes of war are thrown away and burned, where righteousness and peace reign. All of this comes from the child. That is not normally how we define might. And when we think about might, what do you think of? In our culture today, you probably think of, right, like muscled superheroes are mighty. Uh, the mighty ducks, the mighty Morphin Power Rangers. What's your definition of might? Go to any western city, and what do you find in the center but a statue of some guy on a horse? Oh, so mighty. <laughs> We elevate the conquerors, the victors, the one who owns their opponent, the one who has the most influence or most buying power. We can even jump to this vision of might in our own faiths, preferring to think about Jesus as a conqueror on a horse with a sword rather than the one who entered the city on a donkey. Yes, Scripture points to a coming day where Christ will return and conquer evil and death once and for all, but our clearest picture of God, our invitation to the way of God in our lives now is centered on the Christ who entered the world and was wrapped in a blanket. God who suffered and died, who rose again, who proclaims peace. The early Christians saw this and they saw this title of mighty God, and they saw Jesus who had might over the sea and over death, but it was a different kind of might. A might that would tell people to turn the other cheek, that Jewish historians called a preacher of peace who told Peter to put away his sword. See, the, the quality of Jesus' might, it's subversive. See, Jesus shows us what real, holy, righteous might is all about. It shows up. It is kind. It is selfless. It is invested. It is trustworthy. It puts others first. Later, in chap the late chapters of Isaiah, we find another image of this ideal king. This time in Isaiah 53, we find a king that would willingly suffer, who would serve. Isaiah 53, 4-5 says, Surely He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we are accounted Him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the punishment that made us whole, and by His bruises we are healed. 
The Mighty One is the one who is willing to suffer for others. That would lay down Himself for others. The one who would love so much it killed Him. Who would face rejection and scorn. That's might. In T.H. White's great novel, The Once and Future King, he writes, the bravest people are the ones who don't mind looking like cowards. In the Hebrew Bible, as we read this word might, it shows up several times, often in ways we use it, like strength, power. Sometimes it's also translated for like an athlete, a weightlifter. Earlier in the passage, Isaiah says all authority rests on his shoulders, and so I want you to imagine our mighty king kind of like a weightlifter with the weights on his shoulders. C.S. Lewis, in his book Miracles, says in the Christian story, God descends to become a person in Jesus to re-ascend. Imagine that weightlifter doing a squat. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. God descends even to the human womb. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. This is our mighty God. Who would stoop down to us, get all of our complicated burdens, the burdens of war and violence and fear and ecological disaster and the epidemic of despair, who would stoop down and lift us. A mighty God. I want you to know that this might does not stop just with Jesus. But Jesus' might is shared and sent out. In Matthew 28, 18-20, we read this. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority, remember that word, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, a child given to us. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Or in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus' might is shared and sent through His people. The might is transferred with a mission. God's presence remains. Who needs a security blanket? I think that's the hardest part of the message for me as I wrestle with this text to remember that the mighty God is still with us right now by the presence of the Spirit. That even though sometimes it feels like God may be asleep in the boat, we can cry out, are you there? Do you hear me? I'm scared. Can you help?
See, Isaiah's promise isn't just some future hope or just some ancient poem, but a present reality. We don't have to spend our lives just trying to side with whoever we think might be mighty enough to keep us safe. The mighty God has given God's self to us. So we are called to take this might into the world confident in the God who stoops down to us. And it might look foolish to other people because of our love. And it might mean that we have to reimagine how we live in the world. It might give us the freedom to be present with our families and our neighbors in a world of disconnection and isolation. It might give us the strength to not look away at the injustices of the world, to ask questions, to destabilize the structures that stand against the powerless, to use our voices, to call on our political leaders, to use our ears with our neighbors, our hearts with everyone to pray and call and act for peace even in the midst of storms. The mighty God is with us. Isaiah's first audience worried about deals with other powers. They tried to get security and strength from other sources that would end up harming them. Where are we looking for might these days? Where do we put our trust and security? What do we call out to? Do we trade the mighty God for lesser strong men? We all have security blankets. Do we give them too much power? Whether they're our jobs or our titles, our control, our bank accounts, our distractions, the way we feel like we have to have the right answers all the time, the right thing to say, the way we think other people see us or feel like we have to keep other people at a distance, are there things that we give too much authority to? What if in a world where everyone is looking for might and security, a world much like the one we find in Isaiah, we declare with the prophet that there is a new kind of might. A might that would choose to enter into our story, be wrapped in a blanket and held by his mother to show us that might is both vast and subversive. For unto us a child has been born, a son given to us, and all authority rests on his shoulders. He's named the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.